Hope Community Church podcast. For more information, visit hopeis.life. So Genesis 37, we are going to be starting at verse 1. But how many of you heard of the story of Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat? Anybody in the musical at school? Anybody still know the words? Anybody going to sing them? <laughs> I can't sing. Oh. Anyway, it's a popular story, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a well-known story. We, we know the background of it, most people. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be joining Joseph through his story, through the book of Genesis from chapter 37 to chapter 50. It's quite a lengthy story, actually. It's the longest story in the book of Genesis. He's a, a noble man. He's a good character. And, and in that story, there's so many themes for each one of us to relate to, to learn from. And so I'm really, really praying that God will uh, plant some seeds in our lives moving forward. But we're going to jump in at the start, verse 1 of chapter 37. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So, anyone remember what life was like when you were 17? <laughs> so, oh, I'm not too sure. Life at 17. Not quite an adult, but not really a child. And didn't like being treated one. Anyone else remember? Ian's shaking his head. Is it that long ago? <laughs> Did you go, You guys met when you were 17, didn't you? No? 15. Oh, So it's not, you're not quite an adult, you're not really a child, and you don't really want to be treated like one. You're, it's a tense time, you're asking some big questions in life, like why do I have to get out of bed, things like that. You don't know what's ahead of you. Joseph was the same. He was 17, he was living at home. Now this isn't an unusual thought for us really, most 17 year olds are living at home. But Joseph lived with his father, Jacob, and the rest of his family. The rest of his family consisted of three stepmothers, ten stepbrothers, one brother, and one stepsister. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Under one roof. Imagine that. Imagine that. I remember living at home for a short time with my dad, a stepmom, and two teenage stepdaughters. I was only little. They were teenage girls and a brother, it was tense. It was a, it was a crazy house. And uh, all kinds of things were going on. And I didn't enjoy it. Imagine living with ten stepbrothers, one brother and a stepsister. Joseph's family was not an ideal family. But it was what he knew. It was what he knew. What didn't help at all though for Joseph was he was a bit of a telltale. It says he brought bad reports to his father about the rest of his brothers. So he liked to dob them in. He liked to get them in trouble. He liked to kind of tell Jacob what was going on. And if we're honest, no one likes a telltale, do they? 
No one likes a telltale. But Joseph didn't think twice about letting his father know what was going on. Uh, but and who knows exactly, but Joseph felt that he had to report back to Jacob. And I'm sure Joseph was motivated by the right reasons, perhaps, even then. And through the story, you will see the character of Joseph, the integrity of Joseph. And I think by him giving these bad reports about his things that was going on, we get a little glimpse of the character that was in him then. But we will continue in verse 3. It says, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. Not only was Joseph a bit of a telltale against the rest of his family, but Jacob showed preferential treatment to him above the rest of them. If anything is going to cause friction in a family, it's the injustice of favoritism, isn't it? No one likes to be no one likes to see other people singled out. Jacob showed it by the way that he treated Joseph differently, by the robe that he was given. Older translations describe it as an ornamental coat, okay, or a coat of many colours. Newer translations describe it as a robe with sleeves. Now, some of you are thinking, well, what's so special about a robe with sleeves. The robe was long, it went down to the ground and it had sleeves. Now, if you were working back then, you wore shirk sleeveless coats. It went down to your knees, enabled so you could walk around. You had sleeves so you didn't get your sleeves dirty. So by Jacob giving Joseph this ornamental long sleeve, long robe thing, he was giving him authority and saying, actually, you're going to be more of a manager and a supervisor than going out on the fields with the rest of your brothers. So you can see, remember, Joseph was the youngest. You could see why all his brothers were going, hang on a minute. And and if you look into the story a little bit more, you see that actually Reuben should have been treated this way, but he wasn't. You can read, if you go back into the book of Genesis, you will see a little bit more about that story. So Joseph was shown preferential treatment and given a bit of authority and stature because of the robe that he was wearing. He was showing everybody else that Joseph had been set apart, not to work, but to govern. And he was only 17. So he wasn't the most liked, when you think about it, in the eyes of his brothers. They had plenty of reason, didn't they? They had plenty of reason. We read on in verse 5. It says, Joseph had a dream. We all know that little story, don't we? Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him. It just It's not going well, is it? It's not going well. Poor Joseph. He said to them, listen to this dream that I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 8. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream. Are you picking up the themes here? They genuinely hated him because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. You'd think he'd learn his lesson, wouldn't you? Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Verse 10. When he had told his father as well as his brothers, 
His father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. So these dreams added fuel to the fire in many ways because he wasn't liked before. And now he has these dreams, he has these visions of his future, almost a a confirmation about what was to come. But Joseph felt that he needed to broadcast it to those around him, and he did it in a probably, maybe, I don't know how else you're going to communicate that I had a dream that I'm going to lord it over to you. There's no real way that you can communicate that nicely, is there? You can't, there's no other way. If you, well, however you talk about it, you're going to come over quite uh, arrogant. And, and Joseph was only 17, and so he broadcasts it. He had it coming, didn't he, if you think about it. His brothers didn't like him one bit. To Joseph, it was a great dream. But I think in his 17 years, there was too much in it for him at that time. Too much in it for him to handle. And the only way that he could speak about it was in arrogance. And yet I believe in his heart again, he didn't want it to come over that way. Very quickly, let me paraphrase the next uh, chapter or the, the rest of the chapter in, in Genesis for time. Joseph is sent uh, is sent to see his brothers. His brothers were out minding the flocks. That's what they did. They were shepherds. Joseph was sent to his brothers to bring them news. And before he has even arrived, they see him from afar and they plot to do away with him. They plot to kill him. Their little brother. Their little brother. Imagine that. Your little brother, Sarah. Would you do that to your little brother? He's not that little, though, compared to you, is he? But you know what I mean. From afar, he comes and they're like, let's get rid of him. And if, if it wasn't for Reuben, he would have been dead. No worries. Reuben was the next one up and he kind of spoke a bit of sense. And when they finally arrived, they set, apart, they set upon him, they took away his fancy robe that his dad had given to them and they threw him in a pit. Some translations call, call it a cistern. Do you know what a cistern is? A toilet. Yes, they threw him in a pit. It wasn't nice. Whatever was in there, it wasn't nice. And actually, there's not much that says in that chapter, but if you go off into the book uh, of that story, you read that he kicked up a fuss because uh, he, was, he was crying, he was pleading. But anybody in their right mind wouldn't want to be thrown into a pit, would you? You wouldn't go, okay, throw me in. So this, this is what gets me. They throw him into the pit, his brother's. They're, they're baddies. And they sit down, and what do they do? They decide to have a barbecue. Here is little old Joseph in a stinking pit. He's probably been hurt because they beat him up a little bit. And they sit down and have a barbecue. It's time for a bit of grub. They calmly settle down. They eat some food. It's a bit cold-hearted, isn't it? It's a bit cold-hearted. You could, though, thankfully, you could say thankfully that they had a brainwave And along came a caravan. Not a caravan is a thing with wheels on because there was no cars then to pull a caravan. But there was a caravan, a long train of camels and cattle and people. And they were off to market. And they'd go, do you know what? We're going to sell our little brother. We're going to make a few quid and we're going to get away with it. So they sell him to, uh, to this caravan of gypsies that were going to Egypt. So, Joseph had a dream. 
Joseph had a God-given vision. For all the intentions in the world, he was about to live out this vision when he received it. And yet here he was, hours, days later, in a pit, and then on his way to Egypt where who knows what was going to happen. We know because we can read through the next of the book and we'll journey through that. But he didn't right there. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand. So, if I was to ask you of a question, how many of you know life never plays out the way that you plan it? Put your hand up. <laughs> life never pl- plays out the way that you plan it. We like to plan, don't we? We all have a plan of life. We have an ideal, perhaps. Some, way, some of us may even, we, we may even have it written down on paper, what's going to happen year by year by year. Anybody done that? Good. But some people do. Some people do. In 10 years' time, I'll be doing this, this and this. It's good to have a plan. Uh, so we, we get it. We get the plan and we try and stick to it. And then life happens. Uh, because we believe that God is going to do some things in our lives, we get excited for life and we set off on the journey. And so what we plan is this, okay? That's me, that's my plan, that's the journey, it's lovely, it's lovely. You know what I'm talking about here, don't you? That is just how it should go, isn't it? Isn't it lovely? And a ponytail, um, it's a scarf. And I'm, I'm going really quick. <laughs> now, I don't think it's a crime to have a plan, okay? It's not, it's not a crime to have a vision and a dream and believe that God has called you to some things and go, I'm going to pursue this. I don't think that's a crime to have this kind of ideal. We want to achieve something. We want to get somewhere. And God puts things in our lives to aim for, to reach out for, to journey towards but also, there's a lot of pressure on us. There's, there's a lot of things projected onto us what we should be doing. I, I truly believe that my boy Samuel will be playing rugby for England by the time he is 21. And he's going to get me a season ticket to Twickenham. I'm telling you, it's a God-given vision for his life. And I'll retire and just sit in a stand. No, so... That we project ideals onto each other sometimes. We pick it up, we carry it, and we begin to walk and, you know, it, uh, all kinds of ages. And what we do is we conform. We get set in our minds exactly what we should be doing, what our lives will look like. And here it is. That is what life looks like. Put your hand up or give me an Amen. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? It's never plain, is it? And who knows what's in there and what's up there and how long that takes and where they're But eventually, you will get to where God wants you to be. You will get where God wants you to be. We have a plan and then God has a plan. And God's plan is always different to ours. Always different to ours. Because most of the time... He has different purposes for us than what we actually plan. Life is complex. It's full of ups and downs. Between the dream being promised and the dream being fulfilled, life 
happens. Everybody say, life happens. And it's common. We receive dreams. We receive purpose. When, when we set out to do something with everything that we have for God, nine times out of ten, something gets in the way. Where we, we're full of enthusiasm. We're full of zeal for seeing things, goals brought to completion. We're brought down to earth. Sometimes it's quite painful. And I I guess it's like that for all of us in our early years as a Christian. God gets hold of us. He shakes us. He turns our lives upside down. He puts us on the right track. And there and then we enter into a fight. We enter into a fight for our own lives. We face opposition from all kinds of places. And what we thought was going to be easy and smooth and all things nice turns into a pit of loss, of despair, of madness at times. Between the promise and the fulfilment, life happens. And what we want to see happen, what we believe God wants to see happen, doesn't plan out how we want it to. And the danger for us is that when it suddenly changes, when it doesn't go the way that we want it to, we lose heart, we walk away, we stamp our feet. And I wonder right now as I'm speaking to you, you guys here and those guys that are maybe listening to this later, what dreams, what plans have you had, what visions have you received for your life that have been lost? What plans have you ceased because something happened and seemed to oppose them and you just didn't want to continue? What has life got in the way of or perceived to get in the way of? What pit have you been thrown in? What spanner has been thrown at you, got into your dream? What dreams are you holding on to by the skin of your teeth? You know that in your spirit, in your heart, you have a dream, but everything around you is stacked against you. What you see on the ground is not what you pictured in your heart. What have you started and never finished? What gift have you received and failed to use because the first time you tried, it didn't work? What idea have you had that no one else listened to? What dream have you got that you've talked yourself out of? What idea of Christianity and church life hasn't quite reached your expectations? Maybe it's caused you to fall away, perhaps, to be half-hearted in your discipleship, or it's pulled you away completely. What pit are you in right now? What big picture for your life do you feel but not what you see. And I would hate to think how many Christians have had dreams and visions and God-given purposes for that one reason or the other have strayed away because of the expectation not being met. We switch off. We lose hope. We stop trying. We begin to walk in another direction and before you know it, we're not where God wants us to be. And very often it happens just by a little decision or a little movement off track. We give ourselves a no. We change course of life a little bit and we miss the mark. We don't get to where we should be in the purposes of God. And I'm sure that we all have 
experiences of this. And we don't have to look far in Scripture to see this happen. Noah was given a dream to build a boat. No one at that time had seen a boat before. They laughed at him. They mocked him. It took a long time. And people, they didn't even know what was about to happen. Noah didn't see it before him. He just did as he was told and he pursued the vision that was put in his heart. David ended up on the run for his life. And I'm sure he didn't expect that to happen. Jesus was baptised by John, received the Holy Spirit. His ministry was about to start and he finds himself in the desert, hungry, thirsty, being tested. Numerous times Jesus could have listened to the enemy and if he did, he would never have been the unblemished lamb. He would have sinned like the rest of us. Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus road, receives instruction to travel, preach the word and yet most journeys he's imprisoned, he's beaten, he's bitten by a snake, he's shipwrecked. Everything is stacked against him. There must have been something in him sometimes where he just sat there and thought, I want to go home. I want to go home. So how, how do we stay engaged? How do we continue? Because Paul stayed engaged. He knew he had to do what he was called to do, what was put in his heart. Everything in him hung on and he walked the path God was laying out before him. He stayed connected and he stayed engaged. Jesus, at every opportunity, hung on to God's word when he was tested. Jesus knew the bigger picture, the ultimate outcome. That's what got him through it all. And he knew ultimately that he was serving his father. So what about us? How do we stay stay engaged? How do we come to a place where we might where we might not know and understand what's going on, but we keep going in belief that we will arrive at the right destination, that we will get there. It looks like a good golf course, actually, doesn't it? How do we stay engaged through the journey of life in belief that we will get there? A few years ago, I've got four children, okay? Christmas in our house, some of you will relate to this unless you're really, really good at preparing things, but a lot of the time in our house, we wrap all our presents on Christmas Eve. Anyone else do that? With four children, it's a late night. It's a late night. And it's even later when you get toys that you have to build and you don't really think about it or you've got nowhere to hide them So you have to do it that night and put a pretty little bow on it and stuff, okay? So one Christmas, Zach gets a police car. It's in our back garden still now, actually. It's a plastic police car. It's a little ride-on with a little door with a beep-beep. It's all really nice. And I took it out of the box and I threw everything to one side and I just started building this thing. I know what it looks like. I'm going to have a go. And, And it was a bit of a challenge. I mean, people don't read instructions, do they? Don't need instructions. Don't need instructions. 
So here I was putting it all together. And there were so many tiny pieces, it was unreal. So here I am. I didn't look at the instructions. The only thing that helped me was the big picture on the front of the box. I kicked out, that goes there and that goes there. Everything I needed was right there in front of me to work towards. And if we walk towards our God-given path with God's big picture in our heads, we know the way we are walking leads somewhere. We know eventually that is the big picture. That's where we're going to go. We know where we are supposed to be going. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know how long things are going to take. But eventually, we are going to get where God calls us to be. We might not understand where it goes. We might not understand how we are going to arrive. But we do know it's towards his plan. Our little steps lead us to the big picture. If I'd not concentrated on this big picture and putting all these little small bits together, just fumbling my way, bit by bit by bit by bit, the car wouldn't have happened. It's still, I'm surprised, it's still working in our back garden right now. I'm sure the first day, if it all fell to pieces, it would make a great opportunity for a video and made me a few quid, but that didn't happen. And it... For us, we might just be working on one little area of our life at a time. We might be working in one season of life where we don't know exactly what's going on in this moment, but God's doing something. Can I encourage you this morning for you on your own journey? God is doing something right now in your life. Whether you know it, perceive it, understand it, God is doing something. And so we have to be able to recognise the big picture. We know we have a vision. We know we have a plan. We know we have a dream. We know what it looks like, but we don't know how we are going to get there. But God does. God does. Joseph receives a dream. Hours later, he's in a pit. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. But at nowhere do you read through the story of Joseph him ever complaining or moaning or backtracking, or walking away. He persisted. He stayed engaged. Paul knew that he was going to Italy by by boat. And in the book of Acts, you read the story. But he didn't expect to get shipwrecked in Malta. I don't know my geography off the top of my head, but I don't think Malta's near Italy, is it? It's a bit off course, isn't it? Yeah. But he got to Italy eventually. He trusted, he hung on to a bit of wood. He got there in the end. Through it all, whatever is going on around us, we must, should keep our eyes fixed on him. Fixed on him. Each day, accept where we are. Accept what's going on. Acknowledging God is with us. Through the whole of this story, you will see this recurring verse. God was with him. God was with him in the prison. He went to prison. God was with him in the palace. God was with him every step of the way, even though Joseph didn't know what was going on. God was with him. The Israelites took 40 years to arrive at their dream. 40 years. And some of them didn't even make it. But they kept going on, knowing one day they would arrive. 
God expects us to stay connected to him. Keeping the relationship in a two-way conversation. Walking with him and letting him lead the way. I walk the dog every morning around Slade's farm. And I walk and Bear does what he wants. I have my route. Bear knows where I'm going to go. And every now and again, he goes missing. And if I go off track, he's going to get lost. He's just used to the track that I went. And then every now and again, he runs back out of the woods and he sees where I am and he goes off again. I don't spend much time with the morning now. He just goes off. It's like us in our life. God stays on the same path. And we go off. Ooh, shiny. Ooh, Ooh, that looks nice for a little while. And then we realise that it's not shiny and it's not as good as we thought it was going to be. And then we have to come back where God is faithful and true and stays the same. Joseph knew God. He trusted God. His God was bigger than anything that he was facing. Nothing was going to put him off. And so as we start this journey through the book of Joseph, let's, not a book, it's a story, let's be a people who trust God with everything, with our lives, with our futures, and with our dreams. And maybe right now you don't know if you've got a dream. You don't know if you've got a calling. You don't know if you've got a purpose. And I can encourage you, pray, seek, ask. He will show you. He will just give you the greatest dreams that you could ever dreamt of or imagine. Ask. So let's be a people who trust him with our lives, with our futures. Let's embrace the journey every day and walk wisely, walk humbly into the purposes that he has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for those that we can look up to, Lord, the heroes of faith. Lord Joseph and how he lives his life and how you use him. You ordained him for a time. He didn't sway. He stayed wholeheartedly walking with you. And he fulfilled your purposes. Lord, help us to navigate the challenges of life. Everything that life brings us, Lord. The ups and downs, the roller coasters and the emotions. Help us, Lord, that every single day, as we fight and battle whatever is in front of us, Lord, we know your presence and we hear your voice. And Lord, for, for us this morning, maybe we've lost hope. Maybe we've lost dreams. Maybe we've, Lord, put away calling and gifting and purpose. Lord, would you bring your spirit into our hearts and unpack all that you have placed in us. Lord, your word says you formed us in the womb. And Lord, when you formed us, each one of us in the womb, we weren't an accident. You ordained our lives and in that life, you planted seeds. You planted purpose and vision and calling and dreams. So Lord, are you...
Hope Community Church podcast. For more information, visit hopeis.life.